This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Remember, always be closing. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with TJ Waldorf, head of global marketing at INAP. In addition to his experience as a marketing leader, TJ spent more than a decade as a B2B sales leader. In this episode, TJ sits down with Lauren and Ian to discuss sales and marketing alignment, marketing attribution, budgeting, and best practices for content marketing. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Welcome to Marketing Trends, a podcast for marketing leaders. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at The Mission. Sitting to my right in studio is Lauren Vaccarella. What's going on? Not much. How's it going, Ian? It's a beautiful day here in sunny Palo Alto. It's about 60 degrees and we're joined by negative 15 degree freezing foot of snow. TJ, what's going on? Hey man, good. I'm, I'm staring out the window just looking at how cold it is. So thanks for that reminder. Yeah, TJ's in Chicago joining us uh, fully snowed in, which might date this podcast, but you could go back and check the weather. We have a bunch of stuff to talk about that's really exciting today. We're going to talk a little bit about sales marketing, what it's like as his career going from sales into marketing, about attribution and budgeting, content marketing, and then just, uh, you know, our typical banter back and forth. I like it. And so, Ian, do you know my favorite thing about TJ? I do not. I don't even think TJ knows my favorite thing about TJ. Uh, I don't. I I love that you started as a, a seller and you started in sales and you didn't just start in sales and transition to marketing. You legit led global sales and had this incredible sales career and sales background. And then we we pulled you to the dark side. And that doesn't happen often enough. And I love that we have ripped you out of sales and brought you on to the, the dark side of marketing. <laughs> I've converted. I am a believer. Yeah. So TJ, how did you get into marketing and what was this path for you? Yeah. So I've... If you look at my uh, my LinkedIn profile, I've officially had a marketing title for about three years now. But if I, I kind of reflect a little bit, I, I feel like my my path to marketing started a long time ago. Um, I've always been kind of a, a creative person. Um, and actually, the first couple of years of college, I was in uh, graphic design and visual communication. So I've kind of always had this, this slant to marketing, if you will, um, even though my early parts of my career and for quite some time, was a hundred percent focused on leading sales organizations um, or being a being a seller. So, but yeah, three years ago had an opportunity to take on the marketing hat as well, and really was running kind of a dual role, leading inside sales and marketing, and that's where my marketing career, if you will, will was officially kicked off. So, when you first you first had to carry marketing, what was the the thing you learned that you maybe as a sales as a sales leader gave marketing guff on or what did you what did you learn and what did you learn to appreciate the most about marketing when you jumped over 
Yeah, I don't, I don't think I realized just how much went into marketing. I think that if you're, you know, as a salesperson or a sales leader, you're, you're kind of seeing the result of it, right? You're seeing the leads, you're seeing, um, you know, the website and the things that marketing is creating, but you don't really, I don't know that you can have a full appreciation for, for really everything that goes into it, right? From the really nitty gritty understandings of how, you know, paid media works and, the psychology behind branding and and there's just there's so much that goes into marketing and we touch so many parts of the the you know the organization it's hard for somebody i think outside looking in to really grasp it all it's the uh all the powerpoints that uh that we make you know on a daily basis here that you just don't see no we, we were joking off air about this idea of like hey how are those powerpoints going in marketing land um but i think it's you know <laughs> yeah. i think it's one of the things that points to the kind of sales marketing divide that we talked about when we had Sean Shepard on mm-hmm. and this like the other side doesn't know what each other is doing, right? Like they don't know what actually goes into it. What are the ins and outs? You've talked about that marketing is here to help you hit your numbers. Do you think you have an advantage going into these conversations saying, hey, I sat in your shoes I've done this exact, well, you don't sit in shoes. Um, I've <laughs> been in your shoes. I've sat in your seat, both in a seated and uh, standing position. Um, and uh, I've been there. So, you know, I can I can help you hit these numbers if you kind of help me help you. Yeah, yeah. I think that the, you know, the lens that I'm able to, to kind of see marketing and sales through is maybe a bit unique, right? You don't often see somebody, although we talked, I think about three people before this, uh, before we jumped on here, but that transition from sales to marketing. So it's somewhat of a unique view on how the two parts of the business need to and should work together. That the, uh, the session that you mentioned, that was at, actually at our sales kickoff. And I was talking about the new messaging of the brand and some of that stuff, but it was really to to kind of drive home that point of we can help you be more efficient. We can help you get to your number. And, you know, if if you kind of understand that, you know, you can help us do it even better, right? Because it it takes a really strong feedback loop between sales and marketing, I think, to get it right. And that's something that we've worked really hard to, to try to open up. So in that sales kickoff that you talked about, like tactically, how did you do that? Because I think that this is one of those situations where sometimes you have the the sales kickoff or the end of year sales thing where marketing is not involved in the conversation at all. And sometimes it is like, how did you position this um, and how do you continue to position it with your sales team? Yeah, we there was a lot of work that it, that went that kind of built up to the sales kickoff and the presentation at sales kickoff you know, putting things together like our brand messaging guide and something that's tangible that people can really dive into and and understand the different aspects of how do you have a conversation with a customer that is that's framed in the way that is going to best position you to win that that sale, right? And getting our full sales force really singing to the same sheet of music and and you know, not missing some of the key elements of why we're best suited to help certain types of customers. So in practice, it was, it was a lot of things like that leading up to sales kickoff, right? The brand messaging guide, having marketing present at sales leadership meetings so that we can kind of reinforce the message. And then after the fact, you know, now, and really for the rest of this year, looking for, for more opportunities, kind of drive that point home, whether it's through, you know, knowledge assessments that we're, that we're working with sales on, or just reinforcing it through conversations. And before before you 
got into your role running marketing and do, and you were on the sales side, did you often have marketing leaders sitting through sales leadership meetings or is that something that you you brought over? No, it wasn't something that I that I'd seen um, at previous companies. You know, I think that it, what I experienced up until I kind of got into the marketing seat was a lot of what you hear about traditionally, right? Mm -hmm. like sales and marketing operating in silos. They don't talk to each other. They don't know, you know, left hand doesn't know what right hand's doing. And I saw that. I mean, that's that's something that pretty much right out of the gate, I wanted to try to change that coming in with this sales, you know, the sales background is kind of a sales mindset. Mm -hmm. I felt like we had a good opportunity to kind of make headway in that area. I love that. And what are some of the things that you went in, you had this dual perspective and you said, this is what this is what we're going to do. I know this is the sales point of view. This is what, as the head of marketing, I think I need to do to to drive that alignment. What are some of those things so that all of the marketers who are listening to this can um, just follow your lead? Really, I, it starts with just communication. Like, get into those conversations. If you know you you know that the sales team meets every Friday at you know two p.m ask if you can join the meeting. I, it's it's not likely they're going to say no. So ask the question. I mean, I think that's the first thing that you need to do. Get into the conversation, share, you know, share insights and feedback that maybe they're not getting from sales leadership because they're focused on a certain thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And just kind of present yourself in this light of I'm here to help. I know that we can help if, if we're working more closely together and then just kind of grow from there. And that's that's really how we've you know, seeing, seeing success and trying to pull sales and marketing more closely together. And one of the things that you've talked about a bunch is this idea of attribution and how you kind of have your own specific spin on it. I mean, especially with products that are sold on longer sales cycles, I think you've talked about that your sales cycles are, are much longer. How are mm -hmm. like attribution has to go beyond just how did they get in the pipeline? How are they being nurtured and all of that? Like, what are those type of things that you're doing? Because I think that when you're showing results to the sales team, then they're a lot easier to convince that, oh, hey, that, that we're on the same side. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the, the attribution topic or conversation is always, it's always an interesting one. It's always, you know, I think it's probably one of the things that's most challenging to to marketers and marketing teams. I don't know that we'll ever be to a place where, you know, it's going to be exact because you've the the path to buying is not linear. There's going to be multiple places where your brand's touching the customer, you know, conversations they're having that maybe you're not even aware of. So it, it's always going to be just a very challenging thing to solve for. But I, I think that we've done a pretty good job of getting, you know, kind of that that view of the different places that, that, that our brand's touching the customer and what marketing is doing to influence it. So things like events have historically been, been pretty challenging because if you go to an event this month, you know, and that's the first time that that buyer, potential buyer interacts with your, with your brand, they may not interact again for another six months and maybe they click on an ad or maybe they read some content and that, that journey to, you know, ultimately, hopefully they buy from you it's long and winding and you just gotta, you, I think you, there's a level of, you know, understanding that you have to have and patience and then just, just kind of decide what are those early enough indicators that the work that you're doing and the activities that you're executing against are, you know, producing results or forecasted to produce results. Lauren, how did you look at attribution in, throughout your career? I mean, how did you, what were some of the best practices that you saw? Gosh, um, attribution is one of those things that, 
everyone talks about. And whenever you hear a marketer or honestly, anyone who says we have attribution 100% right, we have this locked down and nailed, just assume they're lying. Um, Lies. <laughs> it is. There's no, there is no perfect way. The thing you have to do is pick an attribution model methodology and stick with it and stick with it long enough so that you start to understand, is this working? Is this not working? Things that I've gone back and forth on that I have much stronger opinions on now, one of the things that I saw one company do was when you're thinking about, say, source pipeline attribution uh, for marketing and saying just for marketing for source pipeline attribution, it is the last thing that happens before a person fills out a lead form. And then I was at a, another company that says, actually, for attribution, it's across both sales and marketing, and it's the last thing that happens before the opportunity is created. Oh. And TJ, mm. for $2,000, what do you think is the last thing that happens before an opportunity is created? The salesperson calls the prospect. Exactly. So what do you think got credit every single <laughs> oh, that's time? that's so funny. Yep. <laughs> And I remember seeing that going, so this isn't about taking credit away from sales, but this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> this will always get credit. And how can marketing prioritize if everything looks like sales outreach? So what I like to do, especially on the marketing side, is what is the last activity that happened before um, before the lead was created? So we at least know that that's the that's the thing that sparks that conversation, and then start to do. And then I've done a a weighted all touch. So what is the thing that what is the thing that happens before an actual qualified lead? And then over the the course of lead to opportunity, how do we how do we start attributing and weighting what gets more or less credit? Because you can say you know, the email was sent before an opportunity was created or the sales outreach, but that might not actually be the the most valuable thing that happened over the course of time. Um, so I've yep. done a fair amount of that. The thing that that misses is the what's everything that happens before the lead, which is not going to tie into, say, your, your CRM data as easily. So for startups that are just getting started in smaller companies, I always look at what is the thing that happens before the lead gets created, and then how are you looking across the lifetime of that from lead to opportunity? And if you've got predominantly an enterprise business and you're selling predominantly to the enterprise, you have to look on an account level versus on a contact level. And ooh, TJ, since since you're a reformed sales leader, I can tell you my perception on this, and then you can say, this is where marketing is full of it. Because yeah. the way we always looked at it was sales assigns whatever contact to the opportunity. And it may be mm -hmm. the most senior person, but it's it's a little bit arbitrary. And you could have all of this work done on specific contacts. But if they don't get applied to the, to the actual opportunity, they're kind of SOL because it then looks like, for example, marketing or events or the website had nothing to do, even though you had all of these touches on other accounts. So that's always been the marketing perception. Is that true? How do you and how do you think attribution should work? Yeah, I think I, mean, I think that it is true. And we look at it at an account level because you've you've just got, you know, we work in a very complex buying process and buying decision, right? So you've you've always got 
you know, anywhere from three to seven people, let's say, that are in that buying process and buying decision. So, you know, just accidentally forgetting to add that one person to the opportunity and then, you know, not not sourcing it or crediting it the right way, I think is a mistake. So I do think that you have you you look at it at an account level, you know, try to peel back the the different touch points at a contact level to better understand how you can do more of that. But from an attribution perspective, I think that you, you account level is the right way to go. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So we had a conversation earlier today with a very, very, very senior executive. And when we asked questions for our podcast, like, what's your favorite podcast? And he's like, oh, I love one of the ones that you do. And like showed me his phone where he was subscribed. And I was like, wow, that's a very, like, many, many levels above the person that we would typically be talking to. And I was like, that's pretty interesting, mm-hmm. but he would never be entered into Salesforce for us or, you know, RCRM. Exactly. Like, the, and that's a pretty significant thing. And we've had this happen with a few of our different shows where the CEO of a show reads the newsletter or whatever and forwards it and forwards it and forwards it. But that person, that CEO is not being tracked anywhere. And it's like, meanwhile, you might not get that forward, forward, forward thread all the way to you, to especially to the marketer. I mean, yeah. it's never going to come to you, uh, potentially. Yep. Yeah. An example. An example that I could use is um, so we just we just changed our chat messaging platform on our website not too long ago, and I had first learned of the company through listening to their podcast, and this was probably a year and a half ago. I'm not likely listed as a contact on their account because my team's working, you know, more directly with them. So I think that's a good example where I, you know, kind of influence the initial discovery of that platform, but I'm not the one that they're, you know, they're interacting with, you know, day to day. Yeah. I mean, let's go into content marketing because you all do uh, quite a bit of content marketing. So what do you think of separates effective from ineffective content marketing? How are you looking at what types of content that you're creating? Are you looking at personas? Are you looking at, you know, like the ABM style approach where you want multiple different people to consume the same type of content? Or is it separate by function? Like what what sorts of stuff are you looking at? Yeah, we ours is mostly persona based. So, you know, we work a lot with directors of IT, directors of infrastructure, VPs of engineering, and then, you know, and depending on the size of the company, you're going to you know, interface with the CEO or the CFO potentially. So I think that we've got to have, and we do, we've, we've got a somewhat broad approach to the types of content that we, that we develop and build so that we're hitting those different personas in the buying that we assume are going to be in the buying process. And the type of content that you produce for the director of IT that might be helpful is different than something that's going to be more, you know, higher level business focused for maybe a CEO. So I, I, I think that at least from our point of view, that's been a, a good way to approach it because you can more you know, directly talk to the, the specific needs and where a director of IT might be in the life cycle of their cloud strategy or cloud journey, for example. Well, and you work on, as I kind of mentioned before, really long sales cycles, potentially. And and really for any B2B leader that does have long sales cycles, content marketing is one of those things that obviously done right is evergreen and can potentially hit multiple people for years and they can come back to this over and over again. How do you budget that sort of stuff? And ultimately, how do you drive attribution for that stuff? Because if you're saying, hey, I'm investing in a content series in 2018, mm-hmm. 
what's the flash to bang timeline where, Hey, we're, we want to, you know, obviously ideally you want to drive leads right away, but potentially that could be nurturing that lead for years. Yeah. Yeah. So our sales cycle is, it's pretty long. It's not, you know, the longest out there, I, I imagine, but it's pretty long. So it starts with, you know, how we're attributing the organic traffic that we're driving to the website, I think is a, a big part of it. And being able to see that lead that we may have, we may have generated from that piece of content also interact with us at an event or also, you know, potentially click on an ad and download some other content. I think that's, that's that multi-touch component of this that gets a little bit tricky, but the content, you know, in a lot of cases, I think more and more is that is the starting place, right? It's that's the first touch and, and then it kind of goes from there. And then when you're, when you're looking at building out your content marketing strategy and it's, you know, eight to 12 month sales cycles and it's persona based, how are you looking at types of content you're creating sort of mediums and getting content all the way through the funnel? Yeah. So we just did an example. We just did a, a research report that talks about the state of it infrastructure management and you know, that that kind of touches a few of the different personas, but it's very, I would say, weighted towards the IT director because we know that that's the person that's likely going to be out doing initial discovery on what technologies and platforms and you know options they might be exposed to when they're deciding what to do from a cloud strategy or co-location strategy perspective. That sounds good. We got to have that uh, conversation on IT Visionaries podcast, another one of our network or mission uh, mission podcast that sounds like yeah, a fun topic um <laughs> so that seems like a pretty decent investment i mean i don't know how long the report is but are you creating that in-house are you do you have like technical writers on the team do you are you having technical practitioners on the team like who's actually creating that stuff yeah for that report we we actually partnered with an outside firm to do the survey and to put kind of the the framework around the report um, but then our team in-house here builds the exact report as it's going to be delivered in, in its end state. So that's a little bit of technical writing that's design that is, you know, us kind of validating the uh, the results and, and just deciding the best way to put it out there. So it comes in the form of the report. It comes in the reform of or the form of, you know, a separate blog post, social media so on and so forth. So a piece like that has a really long life cycle and you can do, you know, you, you can kind of produce it or deliver it in a, in a number of different formats. Yeah. And then what's the next, I mean, are you, are you weaponizing that with your, with your sales force? Are they sharing that with like, Hey, I don't know if you guys saw this. I'm sure you have some type of like drip campaigns. And then how do you continue to, are you running like, I'm, you know, ads against that piece of content? Like what are the kind of other things that you're doing around that? Yeah, it's really all of the above, you know, just spending paid media dollars to, to promote the ad or promote the the report, getting some of the data points inside of our sales presentation so that when a when a sales rep's having a conversation with a customer or prospect, they're kind of grounding, you know, their message in these data points. So it's not just necessarily us saying, Hey, this is what we believe, this is what the data says, this is what the research says. And here's what your peers are out there doing. And I think that that makes, that goes a long way purely in the sales conversation, right? That if you can kind of ground your message in, in reality and, and research, it can do a lot. And then how do you like 
track and report that to sales because I like I would imagine that there's a conversation at one point of like hey, we spent X amount of dollars to create this content series. This is how we promoted it. This is how we grew it. This is how it's affecting the sales team. I'd imagine that there's a conversation there. It's like, hey, what are we getting for this dollars? This is actually driving lead gen. So how do you present that to the sales leadership? It really comes back to pipeline. This isn't necessarily the near-term metric, but this is where we focus. And putting content out like that, being able to show that if you're using this in your sales conversations, um, you could potentially shorten the amount of time it takes to close. And again, some of these are a little bit longer tail, longer to, to kind of measure. But if you start with leads and, and opportunities being generated that you can tie back to a specific you know, piece of content or a campaign that was you know, focused on a piece of content, then that's when people get excited and they want to see more of it, right? And back back to what we talked about earlier too, the more that you can just be in that sales conversation, be in sales meetings and, and providing updates on how something's doing, you get a lot more buy-in that way as well. Are you using some of the the content and the, the data in your sales training and sales enablement? How How are you working with inside sales as well to get them to really know the content, know what it's doing, and really know how to how to position it to to potential leads. Yeah, we do a lot a lot with training and we work this kind of you know this kind of content and research into those trainings wherever possible. Mm-hmm. But the way that it the way that it kind of works in practice for us is, you know, you'll have we might join like a sales lunch and learn, for example. We'll walk through the content, we'll explain what it means and what it means to, you know, to their to their customers and buyers. And then we might put out a, a knowledge assessment or a training inside of our training platform that they at a self-paced uh, rhythm, they kind of step through it, absorb it. And then there's actually a knowledge assessment after the fact so that we can measure whether or not they really understand it and they're, and they're getting it right. And if there's gaps in what we're saying and what the data in terms of knowledge assessment saying, then we got to go back and just kind of either reinforce or maybe adjust the way that we're presenting it so that we're, we're not just assuming that, oh, you know, the sales team read it and they get it and, you know, we're all good. I love the fact that you do knowledge assessments afterwards yeah. to actually make sure that they're, you know, paying attention during a lunch and learn and really, really absorbing the information and the the data. Did the sales organization already have that practice or once you moved over to the marketing side is that something that you you put into place no we've i mean we've had the 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 idea of knowledge assessments and you know that sort of learning style for for a while but i think that when it comes what we didn't have was you know knowledge assessments on things like brand message we Mm -hmm. had it on topics like medic for example like sales process sort of training you know when it came to to brand messaging or you know, making sure that, you know, our sales team understands other data points from folks like Gartner or 451 on the shift in the industry, that stuff didn't exist. And I think that that now that we're doing more of it, people want more of it. That's what we're that's what we're realizing too. Like the sales team wants more of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we're we're happy to provide it. That's awesome. And I just I think this really, really says a lot to why it's so important for executives to move around in an organization, be in different functions and departments, because the things that you were doing in sales that were just, you know, par for the course of how do we make sure sales knows how to do sales processes? We're going to train them. We'll do a knowledge assessment, you know, on to the next thing. 
you move over to marketing and you have that perspective of how to get sales up to speed, how to get them to really understand something and utilize it. And you could apply that to, you know, general marketing practices. And it's just, it really, really shows why executives should move around because you don't know what you know until you go somewhere else and you see that that's, that thing is missing. And it just seems like such an easy sort of obvious solve. Do you ever do like the sales after action reviews of like, you know, big deal closes and then that person like shares the story of the sale? Yeah, we do. Um, and we're actually, we're, we're trying to push more of that, um, even if it's not a, like a big deal, but just more of these use cases or case studies internally so that when, you know, as the successful sales reps are winning, that makes its way through the rest of the company, right? And even beyond sales too, I think allowing support and having mm -hmm. support teams see that kind of stuff is uh it creates momentum and it creates excitement around the things that we're doing and also helps i think the rest of the company better understand you know where we're being successful and that allows you to pull ideas from other parts of the company too to do more of it well i think you know a lot of times you have salespeople that will talk about the tactics that they use to get the sale through the pipeline or the creative things that they were doing a lot of that and sometimes skip over the fact that, oh, I was just really, really knowledgeable about the industry. And like, mm -hmm. I knew what yeah. I was talking about and I could listen to their, like actively listen to the things that they were saying. And it's to be like, oh, have you thought of this? Have you thought of this? Especially in a field like IT where it's hugely technical, that stuff is critical. And if you're talking about, especially linking it back to content, it's like, hey, would you like to have a conversation with, you know, a prospect where, you both read the same piece of content and are therefore on the same page. Like, hey, we both read this report and you're talking about with them and like adding value to the conversation. It's a much different yep. perspective than it is to just say like, you know, repeating, like regurgitating the same kind of uh, like rhetoric over and over and over again. Right, exactly. Yeah, and I mean, that's, I think the worst thing that you can do is put out a piece of content like that and, and not, you know, in the sales rep, not know about it yeah um, mm -hmm. or not be able to have a conversation about it because that's like that's the first impression that that the you know a prospect has with your company it's not a very good one exactly and it starts to erode trust because you know maybe the prospect went and read all of this information and if the the seller has no idea what it is it can easily make the prospect go well is any of this actually real and yeah. should should i believe this because if this guy or gal that works there has no idea what's going on, maybe maybe I should be paying more attention to someone else. Exactly. So it's been so great getting this sort of deeper insights into the the minds of the sort of sales organization and really, really figuring out what insights we can take as marketers and really just steal the things that you've done well and <laughs> apply them. It's the good artists borrow, great artists steal. And I'm, you know, totally okay with all of that. And you're a thief. And I'm a thief. And that just means I'm efficient. <laughs> um, <laughs> so now that, now that you're, you're here, you're officially one of us. What's one thing you wish you knew about, about marketing earlier in your career? I, I think that I'd probably point back to what we talked about earlier, right? You just having a better, maybe a broader understanding of everything that goes into marketing and what that actually means. I think that, you know, really getting into the weeds and understanding how many different relationships you have to manage, whether internally or externally with mm -hmm. agencies, you know, and just, and how all of that 
if working well together can really fuel a marketing team and, and more importantly, fuel a business's growth. I think that's the, I know that's a broad answer, but I think that it, it's a, it's a broad question too. Absolutely. And what do you, what do you think marketers can do to help get that information to sales in a way that sales can understand and care? You've really got to make sure that you're focusing on what matters to them. You know, and if we're, we're talking about salespeople, right, and sales leadership, what matters to them is hitting their number. Dollar, dollar bills. Um, I think that's that dollar, dollar bills. Yep. It's hitting their number. So as much as you can tie all of your messaging, all of your communication, all of your, you know, your asks on what they need to do to kind of help you back to how it's going to help them make more money and, mm-hmm. and, and help them hit their number. I think that's that's what resonates and that's what makes um, you know something stick. Yeah, I mean, I think the salesperson needs to know about the different roles and functions and how they all work into the CMO's kind of like vision. I think that that's like marketing teams seem, I think, bloated sometimes to the sales team because they don't understand what each of those roles mm-hmm. do. And they just think that there are yeah. people who all they do is build PowerPoints, for example, like we've talked about, you know, but, but I think that if you <laughs> understand each of the functions and how those really are being executed by a really smart person's vision, long-term vision of how it's going to help you hit your number quarter after quarter after quarter, then it makes sense. And conversely, I think the marketing team needs to feel the anxiety of someone who is not hitting their number. Because Mm -hmm. I think that ultimately like the marketing team and as does everyone on earth wants to feel like they're contributing to the broader goal. And the salesperson wants to feel, wants other people to understand that like, there is a very stressful situation Mm -hmm. that happens at the end of every month and every quarter. And that when you get into, when your back is against the wall, all of the campaigns and all of the stuff and all the thing that you just think, oh, none of that worked. Like now it's just on me and you feel very like alone and isolated at that point. And I think that those two kind of things of like, both people end up feeling isolated in their roles. And I think that the more that you can see both sides of it, you you kind of understand like we are all literally on the same team. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And I th- something I picked up, you know, a while ago was that if you, you know, if you get to the end of the quarter and, you know, sales doesn't hit their number, if marketing's talking about, oh, we drove all these leads and the traffic to the site's up 15% and all this other stuff, you're you're not having the right conversation and marketing is not talking totally. about the right things. Yeah. You know, back to your point about having that anxiety, like if we're not hitting our number, our sales number and our bookings number, then, you know, we've got to, we've got to take a hard look at marketing too and figure out where can we, what do we need to change in order to, to make the outcome favorable, you know, the next quarter, the quarter after that and the quarter after that. Yeah. Another thing too, is having your marketing team work late at end of quarter. Because mm-hmm. the sales team is all guaranteed mm-hmm. to be to be working late, right? Yeah. So it's like it just yep. pattern match, right? It's the sense of it's the sense of camaraderie to be there. That's not like sales is at the office at ten o'clock at night and marketing is you know rolling out at five. It sends the wrong message, and I've never been one for saying you have to be in the office and FaceTime is important. But I think that's a great tip, and say, especially if sales and marketing are co-located. And sales is in there late at night and marketing's rolling out. And honestly, vice versa. And I've yeah. been in companies where sales and marketing are co-located and marketing is just busting their butts. 
and they're there late and all of a sudden it's four o'clock and the sales floor is empty and then there's the resentment from from the marketing side of like we are killing ourselves and where's where's the sales team so i think the pattern match is a really really great tip totally agree yeah totally agree it m- makes me cringe a little bit to think that you know a sales rep's leaving at four <laughs> on the last <laughs> oh. day of the month but <laughs> oh, oh you you and me both and as the marketing yeah. leader when you see these things you're like i really want to say something but i can't say anything here and if you were just in the office a little later, maybe you'd come closer to hitting your number. Um, or, or the uh, or the I hit my number and it's like I'm two months into the quarter, so I'm going to be leaving the office at, at 2 p.m. every yeah. day for the so, next month. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, there's, I feel like there's. This is going to be my my tangent because I haven't gone on one yet in this episode. I feel like there's two kinds two kinds of people in this world. One type of person that will to Ian's point, hit their number two months into the quarter and say, I gots to go. I already hit my number the rest of the month. I'm just going to, you know, roll out in the, you know, at two o'clock and go do my thing. And then there's the type of person that's like, I hit my no- number two months into the quarter and I am going to work twice as hard for the next month and I'm going to hit accelerator. I'm going to do everything I can because I know I hit my quota. And if I double up for the next month, I can just crush it. Yeah. And I I want the I want the second person. I want the person that is going, I hit my number early. And if I work harder, I can make twice as much money rather yeah. than cool, I hit my money and I hit my number and I'm gonna coast. Well, I think that it, it's an interesting point because you, you know, as a marketing team, I think that you, you know you look for who those people are mm-hmm. and do what you can to kind of, you know, bring, bring that to light for the rest of the company. Right. And it, and it might seem like it's not the marketing, you know, the marketing team's job to do that, but that's the internal marketing of what we do. I think that you find the things that are working and if that's, you know, a sales a specific sales rep or sales reps that are just killing it, then, you know, figure out ways to highlight that so that the rest of the team sees it. And it's the, and I think you touched on two great points. One of it is the success breeds more success if you, and everyone wants to be part of a winning team. So you find the person who is just the person or the campaign or the thing that is just crushing it and get everybody to know about it and build that excitement because who doesn't want to be the hero? And the, the thing that I will say when I get too busy, I sacrifice, which is the worst thing to sacrifice, is the internal marketing and making sure the company is bought into what you're doing and knows what's going on and sales knows what's going on and make sure you're not just marketing externally to leads, prospects, customers, et cetera, but you are also, you know, in a way marketing to your internal constituents because everyone thinks marketing is easy. And if you don't make sure everyone knows what's going on with the marketing team, people will assume your job is easy and it will be the most thankless job you have ever, ever had. That's yep. a great point. Yeah. And I, if I go go back to the question you asked me earlier too, I'm, I just kind of thought of this as you're talking, you know, the, the one thing that I wish I would have known more about, I think that it would be just how important internal marketing is. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that I'll, I'll add to that, right? It's just how important it is to get everybody on the same page and to make, you know, to create excitement. Like if you can get people 
inside excited about what you're doing, then that's going to allow you to create excitement externally. Right. So, you know, we're, we're trying to create little brand, you know, evangelists throughout the organization so that we can really, you know, multiply the things that we're trying to do externally. Speaking of getting people excited, what is your favorite campaign that you've ever worked on? The campaign that we're running for the state of the infrastructure or state of IT infrastructure management research report is really exciting. And just how much work's gone into it, the feedback that we're already seeing, the amount of interest that we're already seeing, it's just, it's been a, it's been a fun project and the team's put, you know, a lot of blood, sweat and tears into it. And um, I'm excited to see where it goes from here and kind of the different ways that we can use that in the coming months. What about worst campaign you've been a part of? It could be, it could be from your past. You can anonymize the, uh, to protect the innocent. <laughs> yeah, I worked, uh, I won't say the company I worked and, and I wasn't in the marketing role, but I'm going to use this one anyways. Such a cop out, um, but it's all right. <laughs> same space, you know, IT infrastructure. They did this like really terrible dollar days campaign, which just, I felt like it just totally cheapened what we were trying to do and, and, you know, the message that we were trying to get out about the company. So as a, as somebody sitting on the other side in the sales role, seeing that campaign, I think maybe taught me a little bit of a lesson on what not to Wait, do. Wait, what, dollar days? What are you talking about? Yeah, it was, I don't even remember the, the ins and outs of it, but basically they were, we sold least dedicated servers. So, you know, companies that needed to maybe spin up their, their marketing website or um, in some cases, high traffic blogs, things of that nature. They were trying to sell in this pricing model, which then they called it dollar days, which allowed the customer to pay this extremely low price for what was really, you know, interesting in solid technology, but just completely cheapened what we were trying to That's do. That's wild. Mm. Isn't that like, I don't know, pricing 101 is like when you have an expensive or a, a product yeah. like that, do not do anything to cheapen it, like discounts yep. cheapen it. It is. And it's, you know, yeah. I, I want this to be a dollar every day. And how good is this really? And then you're going to compete on price and it's not what you want to well, do in premium service. You're starting the conversation on price and that's the last thing that you want to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, the only time that dollar days work is the Oakland A's used to do dollar hot dogs, <laughs> uh, dollar tickets. Oh, yeah. And boy, that drove a lot <laughs> of engagement. And was that when no one was going to A's games? Uh, first of all, it was when we won the AL, all right? Uh, <laughs> I mean, not like actually the AL because we didn't win the pennant, but we won the AL West or whatever it was. Uh, and we had the MVP of the league for multiple years and then they ended up getting bought away from the Yankees. And did you notice how Ian avoided the question of was that when no one was going to A's games? If people were going, I was right. going. I was going. I was. I ate like five hot dogs. It was great. It was for five bucks. Yeah, it was great. I mean, granted, we did have to close the entire top ring of the stadium. It's not because people didn't go. Oakland's not that big of a city. All right, the fact that we have a team is amazing. So the lesson there is that dollar days can work for hot dogs, but not. Uh, IT. Yeah, right? that's exactly right. I think that is an excellent, okay. excellent lesson. Okay, let's get lightning round. <laughs> lightning round? Fast and easy questions. Okay. Coming at you. All right, I am going to kick off. What's your favorite vacation spot? Ooh. we. So my wife and I, for the last couple of years, have gone to, uh, to Napa. And we just really enjoy that. Just completely relaxing, great wine, great food, and uh, just unwind take the uh I'll, I'll just say the bus <laughs> um but uh the cr like cross vineyard bus where you can hit a bunch of the different wineries 
I love it up there. I um I would highly recommend checking out Healdsburg the next time you're you're up there as well. It is a lovely little spot. Your your favorite vacation spot is one of my favorite favorite places as well. Okay, so who is your favorite follow on Twitter or one of your favorites? I think that it's probably going to be I, I really like uh John Ledger. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. T Mobile. Um, just no, yeah, big, the T Mobile guy. Yeah, yep, yep. yeah. He's just I might have said his last name wrong, but he's a wild guy and he speaks his mind and there's always some interesting stuff. And he, there's, he tends to do the, uh, the kind of subtweet, you know, you, you know who he's talking about thing, but not saying it directly. Yeah. So that's, that's fun. So we've been talking about this. So they've been promoting him on Twitter, like that paid ad against his Twitter account for years. Yeah. And I just looked it up when you said that he has 6 million followers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, and, he is their brand. And I mean, how many telco companies have such a recognizable CEO who, and he really just epitomizes the brand and has leaned real hard into it, which I love. That's so yep. funny. They ran that campaign forever. Mm-hmm. Seems to have worked with the, the 6 million people and all of us talking about how great he is. <laughs> now he's going to have 7 million. Come on this. the show, John. Open invite. We are happy to interview you. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> what's the worst advice you ever heard? Probably to and this, this is stay in your lane. Like stay, just stay in your own little corner of the world. Stay in, you know, the and focus on the, the thing that maybe your title says that you should be focused on and not really worry about what else is going on? The guide right? to what, not in, getting in the promoted. Business context. Stay in your lane. What's that? I said the guide to not getting yeah, promoted. Yeah, no, exactly. Completely. Exactly. Do you have a favorite podcast or show that you're listening to watching? I actually just started, well, other than marketing trends, of course. Um, I just started listening to uh, to one called Business Wars, which is really good. It's kind of a narrative style. There's one called it used to be called CMO Moves, and I think now it's called Marketer Moves. It's pretty good. A lot of interesting guests on there and great content. But I've, I've probably got, I don't know, 40 different podcasts that I check in on frequently. So, and the list is growing. Do you have any plans for podcasting uh, with marketing efforts? Yeah, we actually, um, I want to say six months ago, roughly, we started an internal podcast. So I'm actually in our podcast studio now. So we started an internal podcast to just kind of start to get the word out around the new messaging and everything else. But we are, I shouldn't even tell you this, this is kind of a secret. We are uh, gearing up to launch an external podcast. So really excited about that. Breaking news. Here we go. Ooh. Look at marketing trends. Breaking news. Yeah. Very exciting. You heard, it, you heard it first. Heard it here first. Okay. What ad campaign <laughs> have you seen recently that you're the most envious of? I don't know that I'm envious of it. More than I am. It's just interested me in the conversation around it. But the new the Gillette campaign, just seeing kind of the different viewpoints on, you know, was it smart? Was it not smart? You know, did they take the right approach? So I think that that's, that's been a really good one to watch and, and follow. The episode that we just dropped with uh, Nate Skinner, we talked about it a little bit. And I love the image of the guy who taught, who tried to flush his <laughs> razor down the toilet. Pretty good. <laughs> pretty good it's like uh how to cell phone people in the best way <laughs> oh, like, yeah. like now, now you have to reach in there and get that out um so 
Final, final question. Um, what are you most excited about in the future of marketing? The whole conversation around just AI and machine learning and how that's playing a bigger role in, in you know, the marketing tech stack. It's going to be interesting to see how that evolves and how far it can go. And, and how you, you know, back to our whole conversation around sales and marketing alignment, how you're using that technology to do more of that, right? To get sales and marketing really driving towards the same thing and, you know, sharing the right information at the right time uh, with the right people is definitely an interesting trend. Thanks for hanging out, TJ. Anything else? Anything we miss? No, I think that we covered, uh, covered everything that I think I had on my list. This is fun. Awesome. Thanks so much for, for hanging out today. And we, uh, we'll have to have you back. This was great. Oh, we, we will plug, uh, plug your blog too. Cause you've had some great stuff on there. Some great marketing posts and different stuff. Oh yeah. We'll link it up. Awesome. Thank you again for coming on the show. And when you are out West, we should definitely do this again and maybe do a, a group wine country, Ooh. wine country trip. Maybe we will record from, from a vineyard, make everybody really jealous. Yeah, for the for the wineries out there, yes. uh, if you host the marketing trends team, we will uh, give you some give you some love. That's for sure. Yes. There you go. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World class B two B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences so you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster, and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.